Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio, another true story from True Story FM. I'm your host, Megan Strand with Engage for Good. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com. COVID struck last spring, the KIND Foundation wanted to get KIND bars to frontline workers and quickly put a system in place to do so. It didn't take long for them to realize that other companies might be in the same boat, so they created the Frontline Impact Project to help companies get needed products and resources directly to frontline workers in need via one central clearinghouse. Today on Cause Talk Radio, I speak with Michael Johnston, president of the Lubetsky Family Foundation and the Kind Foundation, about Frontline Impact Project and how they're working with over 60 companies to get resources where they're needed most right now. We discuss some of the things that have surprised the team throughout this effort, what kind of products and services they still need, and what the future of this initiative might entail. Well, hello, Michael, and welcome to Cause Talk Radio. Hi, Megan. It's great to be here. Thanks for taking the time with me today. Well, I'm so excited to talk about the Frontline Impact Project today, but let's just start at the beginning here. So after COVID hit, the KIND Foundation created something called the Frontline Impact Project. So what is this all about? Why did you decide to embark upon just a a brand new undertaking, um, as if you probably didn't have enough to do at that point? How did this all begin? Well, it's certainly true. We had a few other things to do, but to be honest with you, we felt compelled to respond. Um, we saw this as one of the greatest health crises in America. We, you know, as a, as a foundation, our mission is to assist. We just felt like we couldn't sit on the sidelines in this. But the challenge became, well, how do you respond, right? That's the big thing. So one of the things we know is that private sector firms, uh, as a general matter, are exception, exceptionally capable at responding to dynamically changing circumstances. And this was certainly that. Right. We didn't know that much about what COVID was about. We didn't know how the impact was going to be, but we knew we needed to respond and we knew that the private sector could help. So we thought about what our strengths were as a foundation, and we are very connected to the private sector and to private sector firms, particularly entrepreneurial ones, but across the spectrum. And we felt like we could do something with those firms to make a difference in this in this moment. So we were thinking about quarantining. Right. This was part of the conversation we were having at the time the Frontline Impact Project got started. We're all going to go quarantine in our little, you know, apartments or houses or get away from, but what about those people that couldn't? Right. What about those frontline healthcare workers and EMS workers and firefighters who couldn't sit at home, who had to actually walk into what at the time we thought were in, we still believe are very dangerous circumstances, putting not only their health, but the health of their families at risk. So we started Frontline Impact Project with the idea of trying to help those people, those heroes that were courageously assisting us, keeping us safe and healthy. So we started in April um, trying to figure out with KIND, with the company, how do we distribute KIND bars to healthcare institutions? The challenge we immediately discovered was that many private sector firms don't have a natural ability for distribution to healthcare institutions and hospitals. Um, and so how do I get into the hands of people who need it, the products that are important? Um, what we discovered was that there were many other firms that had exactly the same 
problem. And so within a matter of days, we uh, built a website, we operationalized Frontline Impact Project around a matching uh, process in which we could match institutions in need with uh, corporate donors that could provide the services. Um, and we now have more than 60 companies that have been donating products over the last six, six months. And man, the generous spirit behind the engine and those companies is what has made this project a big success. Fantastic. So to simplify it for our listeners, um, the Frontline Impact Project is sort of a coalition of companies that has products that they know could be beneficial, whether it's a kind bar or I don't know, maybe personal personal items, things like that, personal products. Um, and you are as of the Frontline Impact Project, you are getting those products into the hands of people who need it. But you're kind of serving as the clearinghouse and then the matchmaker for those requests. That's um, exactly right. We yeah. match corporate companies that have products to give with institutions and frontline workers who need it. Perfect. Um, so you just said that you have more than 60 partners, which is incredible. I mean, first of all, kudos to you for pulling that many companies together. But I'm sure that, you know, the need that you ran into, like, how do we get these kind bars into the hands of people who want them? Um, a lot, Like you said, lots of other companies are struggling with that same issue. So kudos to you for getting more than 60 companies together. Can you share maybe so, who some of those partners are? Um, and how, you know, what are some of the most popular donations outside of kind bars? Because, you know, that's one of my personal favorites but <laughs> sure sure and it's one of our favorites too for obvious reasons i think but so look kind was our inaugural donor obviously sure. they were it was the company and the foundation that began to think about how do we solve this problem but you know um and the, and the company is still donating at scale now but there were lots of other natural fruit brand brands that signed up early for us so we had companies like lenny and larry's complete cookie uh to purely elizabeth and over easy breakfast bars um, we had a bunch of beverage companies that started early to try to find ways to help uh, tea brands like Zest and Kabaki, coffee donors like La Colombe and Rise Brewing. Um, we had coconut water companies like Zico and Vita Coco and Sparkling Waters, LaCroix and uh, Topo Chico. You know, we started with a lot of small brands, which was somewhat surprising to us, but they were really trying to find ways to make a difference. But quickly, some of the larger brands in America joined us as well. So Unilever came on board as part of their United for America initiative and donated uh, Dove face washes. Estee Lauder is committed to donating products. Um, and we've had other big companies like Dr. Pepper Keurig and Mars Extra Gum brand. So it's a wide spectrum of companies providing a wide variety of products. Um, well, we keep saying frontline workers. So who exactly are, are getting these products? Is it just people that work in a hospital or are there other people that can submit for these products? So we, we operate at an institutional level rather than an individual level. So we, we, do, we provide to institutions, but they include hospitals and nursing facilities, outpatient medical clinics, EMS services have been requesting institutions, you know, and one of the, about right now, about, um, uh, half of our total requests are coming from small institutions. Hmm. I'll come back to that in a minute. That was a surprise to us. About a quarter of the requests are coming from medium-sized institutions and the, the remaining amount are from very, very large ones. Um, you know, it's notable because the small institutions are often overlooked in crises like this. So if you imagine major cities, and there are some major cities like New York that experienced some terrible crises around COVID when it first hit in scale, but then imagine a small rural hospital somewhere that doesn't have the infrastructure or the resource facilities to be able to deal with this kind of crisis. 
So they're often overlooked in crises like this. And so we were very glad to see that there was a large number of small institutions that came across the wire. Um, we've made donations now in 47 states. So we're very geographically diverse. And recently, um, we've kind of pivoted in the wake of Hurricane Laura and the Western uh, wildfires. We've expanded our mission to include men and women providing uh, relief in natural disasters. So imagine the firefighters on the front lines in the California fires. And so those people are, are receiving products as well. But it's up until this point, it's been primarily healthcare workers, EMS workers, people putting themselves at risk and on the front lines dealing with, with individuals who are experiencing COVID. Can you give us an idea of the scale of donations? You just said 47 states. Do you have a sense of how many products is that or how many people served? I don't know how you're measuring any of this, but it seems like yeah, a so logistical we, nightmare, personally. Yeah, it is a nightmare. <laughs> um, we've delivered um, just shy of 4 million products. Oh, my gosh. 4 million products and services across the 47 states. It grows. It's continuing to grow every day. We still have donations coming in. We still have institutions requesting uh, requesting help. The growth area for us in terms of product now, and it's creating some difficult uh, logistical challenges for us, is disaster recovery product response. So if you imagine, um, it's easy to deliver, relatively easy to deliver to a hospital that has a, you know, a, a delivery bay that we can get product to. But when you're talking about firefighters who are far from places where they can easily get water and food, right, trying to find logistical locations, centralized locations where they can be distributed to firefighters and hurricane volunteer response workers, things like that has been more of a challenge. But that's been a growing area for us because there's a great need for that, too. So how well, I have two questions. I have so many questions, but right now I have two questions. So can any company with a product um, get involved? So if I sell cookies? Can I, you know, I'm a small vendor. Can I donate? Is there a minimum donation? There's not a minimum donation. And in fact, we've designed the platform um, very dynamically to be able to respond to the needs of the company. So we've had companies, for example, that want to target specific kinds of institutions with their donations or specific geographic areas with their donations. Uh, and, and we've had some very interesting companies come to us that provided products that we hadn't anticipated would be needed, but in fact are. So, for example, we had companies like Rowdy and FitPlan that have donated virtual fitness classes. Oh, interesting. Right. So it, when we began this, the first thing we honestly, the first thing we thought of was not virtual fitness classes. But it turns out that at the time that the, the, the pandemic hit, all of the gyms were closed and the healthcare workers were highly stressed. And so one of the things that they started asking for was an ability to get some kind of release. And so these virtual fitness classes provided products to them that were gave them an opportunity to get away from the crisis and from the stress, gave them a little bit of energy and enthusiasm. Uh, and so any product with any kind of company, any company with any kind of product can donate in any way that seems appropriate and we'll find a match for them. We're always finding new products and new requests and new companies to provide to the healthcare workers. That was actually going to be my second question was if you have a service that you think would be of use, um, can you donate? It sounds like, you, you know, if you're something that's relevant, like a fitness service, I would also imagine like like a mental health service provider or like the Calm app, you know, whatever, you know, some things that might be useful that aren't a physical product might be useful as well in this situation. In fact, we've had products like the Calm app and we've been able to deliver those. I will tell you that recently the most in-demand product for, from us is healthcare. Uh, sorry, it's mental health support. I'm sure. 
I have a story that is was one of the most eye-opening, most powerful stories that we heard during the course of our work. And this was it was a major trauma one, a tier one level trauma hospital. I won't name the hospital. In um, last year, they had developed a um, uh, a counseling program for their emergency room workers. This is long before COVID came along. If you imagine a level one trauma center as a place that has bad car accidents and gunshot wounds and very difficult things to see. And so the emergency room workers are often quite stressed by what they see and do. So this hospital created a small counseling program for those employees to deal with those crises. They opened it in January. That in January, they got, were getting five or six visits a week from their uh, workers in the emergency room. April, COVID hit their area particularly hard. The number of visits rose from five or six a week to 350 a week. Oh my gosh. And then in June, they rose to 600 visits a day. Oh my gosh. The stress of having to deal with the crisis. And it, by the way, it's not just the stress at work. The, the healthcare, particularly the healthcare workers, were troubled with the idea that they were going into a place where they might be exposed to COVID and then they might have to go home and then bring that to their family. There's an enormous amount of stress on that. In fact, one of the unusual products we've been able to deliver is lodging for healthcare workers who are, don't want to go home. They've been afraid, and so we find them housing, and they can, they can actually stay separated from their family for a period of time. Wow, so you really are doing all sorts of donation collection and distribution. That's fantastic. Well, tell us, Michael, how this all works. So how logistically, like how do, uh, if I'm a hospital, how do I put in a request? Like, how do you take the request? How do you match it up? How do people get stuff? Like what are there kind trucks going? Are you driving this personally? Like what's happening? How does this all work? Yeah, no, so they, they wouldn't <laughs> want me driving the product. That wouldn't be a good idea. But, uh, so it's actually pretty simple. We've created a website, www dot frontlineimpact.org and uh, any uh, institution that's looking for um, goods or services can go to the website and make a request. There's a request form where we collect some very basic information like the total number of employees at the institution, what resources they need, what the shipping address is. Um, and we also ask for some information that we can verify. We do some um, vetting of the institutions to make sure that they're all legitimate. These are all free donated corporate products. So what we don't want is we don't want somebody getting product and reselling it for personal products. Sure, so we sure, sure. add all the institutions uh, that we deliver product to. Um, and we do a little bit of vetting and then we find a partner who has the product that they need. We connect directly with that partner. We say, here's the institution. Here's how many they need. Here's where they're located. Can you get product to them? Um, we actually had early in, uh, early in the process of launching Frontline Impact Project, we had a trucking company that offered to volunteer take product from companies that couldn't move it to places where it needed to go. Oh, wow. And we did that we did that one or two times as well. But for the most part, the companies are fine because they tell us their geographic distribution where they can get product. They're fine delivering the product directly. And we like the idea of being able to connect the corporate partners with the people they're helping. Yeah, indeed. Good for the institutions, good for the companies to see the work they're doing on the ground and how they're helping people. But it's a very simple process. And frankly, companies can do the same. They can go to the website and they can say, hey, I want to donate product and they can make a request and we're happy to find ways to match them up. Well, and that sort of, um, is that a big way you've gotten new companies on board? So if people are like, we need Crocs, you know, do you go to Crocs and say, hey, will you donate some Crocs? I know Crocs already donated a ton of shoes to healthcare workers. I have no idea if they're one of your partners. I just made it up. But um, is that kind of how you've gotten some new companies on board? Is just by saying people are asking for your product. 
Yeah, we've got partners um, on board from a variety of different ways. We have had institutions that said, hey, we need this product. And we've reached out to a company and said, can you provide it? Um, we've had partners that have heard about us by the work we're doing and said, hey, I want to be in. And they've reached out to us and say, can we offer some help? And then there are some partners that we um, we wanted to get on board because we anticipated that their products were going to be needed. Um, and so uh, we reached out to them directly and said, recruiting them. We'd really like for you guys to be part of our uh, part of our process. And it's work. It kind of works all all of those different ways. Um, and we've had some really interesting requests and we've been able to fulfill some unusual requests, particularly early on in the crisis. We had um, a few requests for tablet computers. Mm-hmm. Now, our first reaction was, okay, what do you what do you need them for? The story behind that was actually very emotional for us because it turns out that what some of the hospitals needed was patients were being quarantined and they weren't being allowed to see their families. So the uh, the, the tablets were being used to allow the this patients to be able to communicate with their families. And in some cases, very sadly, in some cases, they were using the tablets in order for families to say goodbye to patients that weren't going to make it. So we didn't have a lot of tablet donations, but we had some requests and we did were able to place a few of those. And frankly, anything that somebody wants, we'll make an effort to find a company that's willing to donate their product. That's a that's a great and very touching story. So I'm curious to know, Michael, what are do you have any holes right now that you're looking to fill? Are there products that are challenging to fill? Um, and I'd also love to just hear your thoughts about like just as you're looking back over this massive undertaking over the past several months, like what have the challenges been for you personally or as as an organization? So the Look, the um, the, cha- the biggest challenge we face is keeping up with the evolving needs of the institutions. So when we first started out, we didn't anticipate that the healthcare institutions were going to need mental health support. So right, we right. had to adapt and adjust to that. Um, we didn't expect there were going to be a request for virtual fitness classes. So right. we had to find ways <laughs> to adjust for that, right? So one of our learnings, frankly, was that the, the kinds of requests we get are very dynamic and we have to be kind of dynamically responsive to that. So what what else can we do to provide assistance? You know, early in the process, it was remarkable how many generous companies came out of the woodwork to say, um, I want to deliver to people in need. I don't know how to do it. Can you help us figure it out? And it was remarkable, the response by companies. You know, in the early days, in March and in April um, and heading into May, we had an abundance of product. You know, it's waned a little bit now. And it's waned for a lot of different reasons, one of which is that companies themselves are grappling with the economic consequences of COVID, right? So their, their, um, you know, their availability of product isn't necessarily what it was in the early days. Um, but also now there are other issues. There are hurricanes and wildfires, and they're trying to find ways to respond to that. There are companies doing, and we applaud them, doing remarkable work trying to deliver you know, food products into the hands of economically disadvantaged individuals now that we have 30 million unemployed in America. So these are all remarkable things, uh, and they're all doing remarkable work. But we still have a need um, for COVID uh, response products. And you know, the other surprise for us, as I mentioned earlier, was the small institutions. But they're perhaps among the most powerful impact that we've had. Um, you know, the other uh, kind of early stage lesson we learned, and this was emotional and powerful for us, but also surprising, was that pretty quickly in, in New York, which is one of the early hardest cities, all the sources of food and nutrition were closed. The cafeterias and the hospitals were closed and there were no restaurants open. So healthcare workers were coming in and working 18-hour shifts, and they weren't 
and weren't getting any food or water or anything else. So, you know, the initial response from companies was lots of food products because that's what we desperately needed. Now, because uh, the healthcare workers are wearing, you know, masks and PPE all day, they need alternative things. They need skincare products because these masks are, you know, are damaging their faces and their right. hands are being washed all the time. They need lotions and skin, uh, skincare kinds of products. So we still have a significant need, and it's particularly in the area of skincare products um, and kind of mental health associated uh, kinds of products. We definitely have uh, an ongoing uh, need for all of those things. I have to ask you, Michael, and this is probably a frivolous question, but can you share uh, any unique product requests you've gotten? I mean, we talked a little bit about mental health and things like that, but what came through that you were like, what? <laughs> well, I've talked about some of them already. So the, yeah. the virtual fitness classes was a big surprise yeah, to us. Right? Um, we, the, the initial requests for lodging were a surprise to us. Right. Yeah. It, had, it hadn't occurred to us that somebody would have that kind of need. But again, we we learned a lot on the job here in trying to find ways to respond. And what we discovered was that there were traveling nurses. By the way, talk about courage. A nurse that travels to a different geographic location into a COVID hotspot and works. Oh, my gosh. Courageous individuals, right? And they were experiencing difficulty because they couldn't find housing or housing was expensive or, you know, lodging was expensive. And the the potential need for um, hospital workers to need housing away from their families caught us by surprise. So those were some of the early things that were surprising. And, you know, we, we, we kind of learn every day about new products that we hadn't considered before. So I'm sure there are going to be a number of new, uh, frankly, a number of new surprises uh, coming down the road as soon as we, as soon as we get to the next thing. Uh, and I, I suspect the disaster recovery work is also going to lead to to different kinds of requests for products that we haven't thought of either. Do you see this as a long-term thing, this frontline impact project that will continue to change and ebb and maybe it turns into a disaster response organization? Do you see this as kind of a long-term play or is it something that's more short-term for our lovely global pandemic that we're struggling through right now that is also doing a little bit of disaster recovery on the on the side? Well, look, we, when we started it, we thought, Quite honestly, we thought this was going to be a six-week exercise. Yeah, we're just going to be up for a few months. It'll be over by now. I don't didn't we all? <laughs> right, yeah. How silly we were back then. <laughs> that we're still doing COVID responses a surprise uh, to begin with. Um, I think that there's some interesting things we're learning here that have the potential to create a longer-term program. Some of this we've, you know, we've talked about in, in the sense that we understand conscious capitalism uh, in, in an era in which companies are beginning to think about how they can make a difference beyond the bottom line. So this is not new or surprising kinds of ideas. But, but I would say this, um, we've been surprised at the logistical challenges that exist not in the delivery of money. There are, there are you know, well-developed networks, nonprofit organizations, foundations, um, disaster recovery organizations that do great work in accepting donations, uh, of monetary donations and helping people on the ground. But there's been a lot less focus on the people who are either volunteering or working in disaster. And so, um, and, and frankly, not a lot of coordinated product distribution. So we think there's potentially an area here that we could provide a longer-term uh, support, uh, longer-term uh, assistance to the private sector who wants to make a difference. And and again, you know, when we think about frontline disaster uh, issues and circumstances, we're talking about either volunteers or paid emergency workers, frankly, that come from other communities 
this is a kind of typical American form of courage, right? In difficult times, Americans pull together. They volunteer their time and their effort. They help each other. But we often think about those more, and appropriately, more about those whose communities have been impacted by disasters, but less about the volunteers that are courageously going in to help. And so we think there's also a place for us potentially over the long term to provide support and assistance to those people. And they are heroes going in to provide assistance to those. And that's kind of the feel of this project is how can we help our heroes? That's kind of the nature of this work. So we think there's a possibility it'll be a longer term uh, program. I think the next six months will tell us whether there's going to be a long term need or not. Um, I would love it if you would just spend a moment, Michael, reflecting on what you've personally learned as it relates to corporate giving throughout this COVID-19 pandemic. Like when you look back, if you're able to get a little bit of space and distance, what would you say have been your personal learnings here? So look, I, I, I've been probably most surprised by the generosity of the smaller companies that have joined into our program. Um, these are companies who don't have, you know, billion-dollar revenue streams um, and uh, expansive corporate social responsibility teams. They're often small entrepreneurial uh, groups of people. Um, you know, these smaller companies like Saffron Road or Ocho Candy or Neuro Gum, Creative Snacks, Belgian Boys, these are smaller companies that were some of our very first donors. Um, and they're still donors. They're still long-standing long donors. and you know, you think about the circumstances in which companies who are trying to get their feet on the ground and get started and trying to find a market share, you know, brand new entrepreneurial businesses in a horrible crisis, giving themselves the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of other people is remarkable, right? I mean, all of these companies are grappling with the economic fallout from COVID. And yet here they are contributing their time and their effort and their contributions, remarkable stuff. You know, I perhaps I shouldn't be I shouldn't be surprised by the selflessness of companies trying to help. Um, but you know, there are so many challenges facing American society today. The one thing that surprised me the most, perhaps, is that companies are just part of that great American tradition of in times of crisis we do things together, we help each other. That's the nature of the way things work, and that's part of the greatness, I think, of the idea of conscious capitalism. It's not just about the bottom line; it's about all of us as a society and how can we help each other help our, you know, our environment, help our, you know, be economically disadvantaged. I shouldn't be surprised, but I was by the generosity of the response. That's great. Thank you very much for sharing that. I think the thing that I um, think is so striking about this project is the fact that you are bringing companies together to do good together. So often you see really phenomenal corporate response efforts, but it's, you know, they're doing their own thing. So I just, I love the fact that you're bringing everyone together. You're acting as kind of a central clearinghouse and you're giving companies a really easy way, kind of a turnkey way, if you will, to get product to the hand into the hands of people that need it. And I love the fact that you let them kind of connect directly one on one because you're right, you know, knowing what the impact is, like even if you just get a photo of like, here's people wearing your slippers you donated or whatever it is. I mean, that's got to be really, really meaningful to the employees that work at those companies and the people that are doing that. So um, kudos to you and your team for pulling this together. It's just a really, really great effort. And I so appreciate you taking the time to chat about it uh, with me here today. It's my great pleasure, and I'm always glad to hear about other extraordinary things that I know you talk about on a regular basis. So we're listening in, and we'd love to hear all the other great things that other companies are doing.
Fantastic. You mentioned you mentioned it earlier, but I'm going to ask you one more time: Where can people learn more about Frontline Impact Project if they'd like to do that? Sure. So the website is www.frontlineimpact.org, and again, anyone can go there and see what we're doing and see where our partners are. But there, are, if there are donors who are interested in making a donation via the site, you can also email our head of partnerships, Jason Lalak, and his email is j l a l a k at Lubetsky. And I'll spell that L-U-B-E-T-Z-K-Y dot org. So either the website or to our head of partnerships, we'd love to hear about from more companies that want to make donations because we still need. Fantastic. And we will put that in the show notes, which you can find at engageforgood.com. Michael, thank you again so much. We will look forward to hearing about the future successes of Frontline Impact Project and uh, really appreciate your time today. Fantastic. Thank you, Megan. Appreciate it. 